This is a recording of the session on the future of the left in Israel at Ideas for Freedom 2019. You'll hear from three speakers discussing the prospects for building a Jewish Arab left that can fight back against occupation, racism and capitalism, plus their responses to the discussion from the floor. The speakers are Maya Irani, Assistant Director of Yachad, speaking in personal capacity, Eric Lee of Labour Start, plus Tom Harris from Workers' Liberty. So I think when we say left, what do we mean? Let's let just define the term to start. So you can talk about parties. Um, which parties are left kind of depends who you ask. But if we're generous, uh, I'll say everything from blue and white, which is the newly formed for the recent election, uh, the kind of IDF generals party. And um, everything towards Labour, Meretz, Hadash, Balad, kind of the whole spectrum. If you'll ask uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, then uh, Avigdor Lieberman's party is also left now, but uh, I'm not sure uh, the voters would agree. Um, so that's kind of the party politics, which I'm less interested in on a personal level. And then we have the ideas of the left, okay? Um, so again, I'll be generous. What do, we, what do we consider the ideas of the left in Israel? Um, starting with the conflict, it's the desire for peace, two-state solution, um, end of the occupation. Um, if we go to more domestic internal issues, it's separation of church and state, or in Israel's case, separation of synagogue and state. Um, this can mean public transportation on Shabbat, on Saturday. I don't know if you know this, but in Israel there's no public transport and public services on Saturday. Um, full rights uh, for all minority groups, gay marriage, uh, etc. When we look at the parties, they're not doing very well, okay? We've all seen the recent election in April, now they are gonna have another shot, unless, I don't know, a miracle would happen. I'm not a religious person, but maybe a miracle would happen and they would somehow win. I don't think this would happen. Um, but if we look at the ideas of the left, the ideas are winning. The ideas are popular. Opinion poll after opinion poll, survey after survey, there is majority support to two-state solution. This is not an empty slogan. This is not, not that I'm gonna say the B word, but this is not people saying, yeah, I'm in favor of two-state solution without actually understanding what it entails. This is surveys that are asking, do you support dismantling uh, and, and evacuating settlements? Do you support uh, creating, um, um, I don't know, a highway between Gaza and the West Bank? This is followed by specific questions about what would this look like, and people support this idea. Um, on domestic issues, separation of synagogue and state, full rights for, for example, LGBTQ community, majority support, and not only with the kind of general public, amongst right-wing voters of Likud and uh, the former Jewish Home Party, there's more than 70% support for full rights, for example, for LGBTQ community, and uh, public transport on Shabbat, etc. So why, if the ideas are so popular, this doesn't translate into electoral victory in elections, which I think is a fair question. Um, my argument is that the ideas are popular and the politicians are failing. Now, why the politicians are failing is a very broad question. And if you're interested in that, I highly, highly recommend 
you'll check out an Israeli progressive think tank called Molad uh, that is doing a lot of work about this really, really interesting research. Um, and if I have to kind of summarize their argument, is that our, our in like the left peace camp, our politicians are failing us because they are cowardly, because they think that if they would wink or look more right-wing, they would manage to attract right-wing voters. I don't know if that reminds you anything in, in Britain. <laughs> Apparently, it's cross-border. And they lack uh, a vision. I mean, it's not just enough to say, oh, just not BB. Apparently, voters are not really keen about just hearing, please, just not BB, or just not annexation. They don't have a, a proper positive vision of their own. Um, and you could see that despite the fact that politicians are failing, and despite the fact that for 20 years we have, I mean, in Israel, it's not too dissimilar to the UK, actually. But once you're in government, you're way more powerful than the opposition. Despite the fact that Netanyahu is pretty much prime minister since forever, <laughs> 10 years in a row, in 97 he was also prime minister, so almost two decades of Netanyahu. Despite the right wing's control over government, despite the fact that Netanyahu has Sheldon Edelson that funds him a daily propaganda newspaper that is given for free and completely undermined and destroyed a lot of important um, kind of um, news medias in Israel. Despite all of that, the, the Israeli public, they didn't win the hearts and minds of the Israeli public. You can see in 2011, half a million people took the streets without a very clear uh, agenda, but just rage and dissatisfaction with existing, with their, with their lives. In 2018, we saw many incredible protests. Um, again, I, I'm saying incredible because it didn't have any leadership to kind of, to, to lead that. It came from people on the ground that were just frustrated with their lives about domestic violence, also sometimes called like the women's protest, um, LGBTQ protests for equal rights. Uh, we had an incredible demonstration against the deportation of asylum seekers in South Tel Aviv. Sorry, in South Tel Aviv. So there are people who are angry and are basically not really represented. Uh, their politicians are trying to convince right-wing voters to vote for their parties on the expense of their, of their base, if you like. Um, what's next? Yeah, this is what we are here to, to answer. What's next? There's one prediction, kind of the doom and gloom. It's all lost. Everything is shit. Uh, there's nothing we can do. Israelis are just racist. They've gone more right-wing than ever before. What's the point? Um, I'm not going to talk about this option because, A, I think it's not that interesting and I don't have really anything to say other than things would just get worse than what it currently is. But also, I mean, if we just assume everything is going to go even worse and we're not going to bother in trying to fix it, then what's the, like, of course, it's kind of a self-fulfilling uh, uh, prophecy. I'm an optimist, um, so let's take the optimistic route for a few minutes. Um, amazing vision is that the left somehow sorts itself out before the 17th of September, which is the second election, and this panel is, we could just ignore it. Uh, and another more realistic option, is that the left camp in Israel, and this is not parties, I'm talking about civil society organizations and think tanks, um, are start, will start to do strategic long-term organizational work about building not just short-term or, or issue-specific 
organizations, but start thinking as a camp, as, an, as, as, a, as a camp that needs an ecosystem of newspapers, of leadership programs, of organizers, something that the left doesn't do at the moment, I'm afraid, just doesn't do. Um, and I think if, if, it, if the camp would take that direction, then there are many reasons to be hopeful, because actually, the vast majority of Israelis, despite the fact that the lefty, so-called lefty politicians are not, are not good, despite that, the vast majority of Israelis support those ideas. So in theory, if someone would just speak out about them, they would get a lot of support. Um, they would build a Jewish-Arab partnership that is more than just a slogan before the election, but actually a movement that works from the grassroots about a partnership. And when I say Arab, I mean um, uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel uh, with uh, Jewish citizens of Israel. Um, and they would have not just... Bless you. Uh, not just... <laughs> you're welcome. Not just um, a no manifesto, no annexation, no discrimination, no occupation, but something positive to say, not just no annexation, but also yes to peace. Not just no to occupation, but yes to withdraw from the West Bank. Not just, not just no for more discrimination against LGBTQ, but yes to full equal rights, uh, uh, institutionalizing gay marriage. Not just um, separation of church and state, but yes to complete full equality to all minorities in Israel. Um, and yes, to a full recovery, of course, of Israel's welfare state that's under a lot of attack uh, under Netanyahu. Um, and I think that if the left would kind of sort itself out and start doing that kind of work, then there is hope. It's not going to be this coming election or probably not even the one after that. It's a long-term struggle. Building a movement, as I'm sure everyone here knows, is... It takes time, and if we're going to give up after we fail one time and say there's no point, then we'll, we're never going to make it. Um, what what makes me hope what makes me hopeful is that you see organizations like and sorry it's going to be a lot of Hebrew now. I'm going to translate. Um, when you look at the trade union movement in Israel in the past few years, there's been an incredible, incredible. A surge, and um, unfortunately, I'm sorry, I don't have the statistics with me, so you'll have to Google it and trust me, that the, the level of organizing in uh, trade unions in Israel on, in the past few years is not similar to any other Western OECD country. Um, and a lot of it is to do with an organi incredible organization called Koach La'ovdim, which literally means power to the workers, um, which is kind of, uh, how will I translate this to British? Um, it's almost like an opposition to current uh, tr strong trade unions in Israel, and they are unionizing for the very first time, uh, for example, Haredi ultra-Orthodox women that work in kind of part-time jobs and don't even know they, have, they, they deserve some, some rights. They, they uh, unionize um, uh, Palestinian uh, citizens of Israel, women, again, cleaners, really workers that were overlooked by kind of the traditional unions. Omdim uh, beyachad which means standing together. Amazing organization. They just launched a Facebook page in English, so I recommend follow. They are a grassroots movement of Jewish and Arabs uh, that are standing in solidarity together uh, and want to build things from the, from the ground up. Um, 
these two organizations, Molad, I've, I've mentioned before, the Beryl Katzenelson Foundation, that just a few weeks ago organized its own conference and saw 900 people uh, coming together one Friday morning to say just that, that we need a Jewish-Arab partnership, that we need to have a positive vision, uh, that we need to brave leadership, and we need to invest in the future generation to be a bit more ideological. Um, and you had people, representatives from the blue and white kind of centrist, I don't know how you like to call it, party to uh, Ayman Uda from Hadash saying we need to work together and present the electorate uh, a united front, which is incredible uh, in Israel. So those organizations are doing amazing work. They're under vicious attack uh, from, uh, the, from the government itself, from NGOs that are actually governmental NGOs. They're not real NGOs or grassroots movements that are busy 24-7 uh, undermining and, and attacking uh, those people in Israel that are fighting for a better Israel, for, for a socialist, uh, peace-seeking, just Israel. And just to close, I'll be really, really quick. Uh, I want to say something. If I was a, a, a far-right Jewish settler and I would look beyond the boundaries of Israel for friends and allies and support, I would have lined up evangelical Christians in the US and I'll have Orban and I'll have like other far-right populists across Europe that are just waiting to reach out their hand and help me in whatever I need. If I'm an Israeli lefty and I'm looking for allies and partners around the world, I see a lot of people that tell me, I don't want to work with you because your country is racist and Netanyahu is, is a bigot. And I'm just going to ask those people, not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, 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 I, I'm, I don't disagree about the statements about, about Netanyahu and his government, but I'm asking who do you help when you don't reach out? Because those people, they need help, I think, the most, and I think that the international community, community alone will not change things in Israel-Palestine, but it can help the people from Israel and Palestine to change their reality. There's a reason Sheldon Edelson didn't work in, in kind of organizing a lobby across the world to support Netanyahu. He sponsors newspapers and activists in Israel to change Israel from within. Do you, see, do you understand what I mean? I, th I think that if we want to help people that are fighting for peace, that's what, that's what we need to do. And I ask you to, to consider that and look for those people that need your support in Israel and Palestine. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much. I, I didn't know what Maya was going to say, and I have to say I pretty much agree with everything. <laughs> so I'm just going to sit down. <laughs> but decades of experience of the left means you know that I would never do that. And though I agree with what, what she said, um, my, my speech is going to be much more negative and pessimistic oh. than hers. Right. Maybe you're all in a bad mood. <laughs> in, part, in part because uh, I've been at this for so many years now that I wish I could be more optimistic. So when uh, Dan proposed the question, was in what are the prospects for the Israeli left, my answer was one word, bleak. They're bleak. And I'll, I'll start because I'm a historian with a historical uh, overview. In Israel's first elections in 1949, Israel was an independent country, over 50% of the votes went to two parties, Mapai and Mapam, the two parties of the Israeli left. They won the majority of seats in the Knesset. Hasn't been repeated. Now, those parties had dominated the country in the decades leading up to independence, for the many decades that there wasn't a, a Jewish settlement in the country. Um, and in the course of those years, those decades when, before the country was established, the left had established 
the kibbutzim, the moshavim, the cooperatives, the trade union movement, the newspapers, publishing houses, and even armed militias, notably the Palmach, which eventually morphed into the Israel Defense Forces. And after holding power for three decades after independence, the left lost it in 1977 to Menachem Begin and the Kud, and then recaptured it in 1992 under the leadership of Yitzhak Rabin. That 1992 victory, which resulted in the Oslo Accords, was the last time we saw the dominance of the electoral machine of the Israeli left. Seventy years after independence, this year, in the elections held in April, those two parties, which are now called Labor and Meretz, won just 8% of the vote together, including the votes of the Arab parties, some of which cannot be considered as left in any sense, some of them are Islamists, even including them, the grand total is 16%, and 84% voted for parties that were not left. Never before in Israeli history has the left been smaller, never has it had a worse electoral result than it had in April, and there's no guarantee that they will do any better in the upcoming elections in September, though the decision this week of the four Arab parties to unite in the bloc, it will help a bit, but not much. To sum up, the parties of the Israeli left have gone from complete dominance of national politics to total irrelevance in a single generation. Sorry, I said it would be bleaker. <laughs> and it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's, there's a pub down the road. It, it's not just the spectacular electoral collapse that matters. There's been a nearly total disappearance of the political culture in which the Israeli left thrived. A little more than 20 years ago, that three of the daily newspapers in Israel were socialist. Three daily socialist newspapers, most notably the Histadrut Trade Union Federation's newspaper, Devar, and Mapam's newspaper, Al Hamishmar. Uh, both had existed for many decades, and both were shut down in the 1990s. I wrote for Al Hamishmar. I was their expert in international affairs because I knew English. Um, it closed in 1995, and Devar closed one year later. Only one ostensibly socialist newspaper survives in Israel today, daily newspaper. It's called Al-Itihad. It's an Arabic newspaper of the Communist Party, and it's the only daily paper in Arabic in Israel. The newspapers in Israel today, as in many countries, are all in decline. And as you mentioned, one of the most popular is the free newspaper, Yisrael Hayom, which is Bibi Netanyahu's house organ. The only political parties left that have daily newspapers in Israel are the thriving religious parties including the ultra-Orthodox parties, which does indicate the importance, even today, of a daily print newspaper. They understand the importance. More important than the decline of the left press is the collapse of the Histadrut Trade Union Federation. Someone want to ask that? <laughs> okay, take, take your time. <laughs> okay. Do I get an extra minute? <laughs> right of reply. Yes. Right, more important than the decline of the uh, left newspapers, left press is the collapse of the Histadrut Trade Union Federation. This is where I will disagree with Maya on certain points. Histadrut, until the early 1990s, was one of the most powerful trade unions in the world. Israel had a very high level of trade union density, higher than most Western countries. 
thanks to changes introduced in the early 1990s by the Labour Party itself, particularly with regard to national health insurance, hundreds of thousands of workers quit the Histadrut in the 1990s, and according to OECD data, trade union density in Israel fell by 50% in the first years of this century. And the once mighty Histadrut has now been reduced to a rump. There are a number of smaller unions, which you did mention, doing good work, including the Workers' Advice Center Ma'an, which actually organizes Palestinian workers who have Israeli employers, Aikoch um, Lovdim, which we mentioned, and others. But the organized labor movement in Israel today is a spent force and no longer has a connection to the political parties of the left. Its former leader, the leader until this year, Avi Nissenkorn, abandoned the Labour Party earlier in the year and went on to become a leading figure in the new centrist party headed by, by Benny Gantz. So where do we stand now? In the face of the collapse and the imminent disappearance of the organized left, especially the Labour Party, which is on the cusp of disappearing completely, the response of the left's leadership in Israel is to do more of the same. This is where my questioning of the two-state solution comes from. I think this is why Dan invited me. For the last two decades or so, the Israeli left has used the slogan of separation, separation, as a way of reaching out to right-wing Israeli Jews who didn't like or feared uh, Palestinians, of whom the slogan of peace was anathema. No more peace, now we talk about separation. One recent media campaign, which I saw on buses when I was in Israel earlier this year, put the two alternatives before the public as annexation or separation. Peace was not an option. But it didn't work. It didn't stop the left's decline. It turns out that Israeli Jewish voters who don't believe in peace are more likely to vote for right-wing party like they could than for tough, retired generals who lead parties to the left or center. For a whole range of reasons, the Israeli left now appears to be in terminal decline, and instead of looking for new ideas, it repeats the same tired, old slogans which convince increasingly smaller numbers of people. Okay, it's not going to get any bleaker than this. That's about as low as I can. <laughs> so the change that is needed. Um, the only hope is not a change in the leadership of the Labour Party, important though that is, and it's desperately needed, but a change in the message and in the ideas. Instead of advocating for separation, you know, separating the Jews from the Palestinians and building walls and all that, the left should proudly advocate for peace and coexistence. When the daily newspaper of Apam, that I mentioned earlier, Allah Mishmar, still existed, and for 40 years it had on its masthead this slogan, for socialism, Zionism, and the brotherhood of peoples, every day for 40 years. Not separation. It wasn't socialism, Zionism, and separation to build a wall. It was the brotherhood of peoples, Achvat Amin, in Hebrew. Instead of chasing after the votes of affluent liberal Israelis, mostly in Tel Aviv, the Israeli left must rediscover its connection to the working class, meaning the largely Sephardic Jewish communities, the Arabs, the new waves of Jewish immigrants, including the Russians and the Ethiopians, and many thousands of migrant workers now living in the country, though the last of these do not have the right to vote. Those communities have been abandoned and given up to the parties of the right. I believe that they can be reached only if the Israeli left embraces an explicitly socialist agenda, an agenda that speaks to their need for social justice, for greater equality, for a future filled with hope. Now that has been proven 
by the success of Senator Bernie Sanders in the US, and to a degree by the success of Jeremy Corbyn here. Without a sharp turn to the left, there is no future for Meretz and the Israel Labor Party. In my view, a new Israeli left will be born, just as strong trade unions will reappear because these things are needed. But there are no shortcuts, and this will be a long and difficult struggle. Thank you. And next we're going to hear Tom Harris from Workers' Liberty. Hi, uh, my name is Tom Harris. I'm a member of Workers' Liberty. Um, I'm a union activist in the PCS and after Eric's appraisal of the light relief. Um, only, only kidding, it's going to be a relentless program. <laughs> okay, so I think it'd be foolhardy of me uh, to pretend to the same knowledge of Israeli, of Israeli left or the subtleties of Israeli electoral politics as my fellow panellists. Uh, I'm not Israeli. I was never on the central committee of MAPAM. I uh, work in a job centre in Lewisham. Um, so, and nor am I going to spend too much time trying to give kind of detailed practical, practical advice about what the Israeli left itself should do. Um, instead, I want to focus on what we, left-wing and labour movement activists in the UK, can do to support and amplify the struggles of our counterparts in the region. Um, I want to argue for an energetic campaign of solidarity that maximises both practical support uh, and publicity for those fighting for workers' rights, peace, and an end to the oppression of the Palestinians. Um, when it was said earlier about what is it like for um, Israeli left-wingers when they look internationally for support, I want us to be visible as people they can make link with, links with, can make solidarity with, and who can, who can amplify their struggles in the UK and in the world outside Israel. Um, but I also want to argue that this practical solidarity is unlikely to be effective unless we on the socialist left seriously overhaul our ideas and our programme on Israel-Palestine. We need to jump the pervasive idea on the left that support for Palestinian self-determination means dismantling the Israeli nation-state, in the process cancelling the self-determination of the Israeli Jews. We need to refocus the left solidar solidarity activism away from consumerist boycotts and towards forging working-class links across the borders and the national divide. And we need to purge our movement of left anti-Semitism, which sends the left down ever more sinister rabbit holes of conspiracy theory and which poisons the ability of the socialist movement to make links with left-minded Jews both in Israel and in the UK. So, to start with, I want to say, first of all, might it seem odd that we're having a meeting about the Israeli left? After all, it's the Palestinians, isn't it, who are trapped in the Gaza Strip, who are under uh, military occupation in the West Bank, who face racism and discrimination in, in Israel proper. Um, why focus on the Israeli left? Well, I mean, obviously we should also focus on the Palestinian movement as well. But I think it is relevant that we talk about the Israeli left for a number of reasons. I mean, the main one is, how do we think there's going to be an end to the occupation? How do we think there's going to be um, a solution? I'd argue that the only way that we're going to get there is through um, significant sections of the Israeli working class uh, being won over to a programme of peace and self-determination for the Palestinians. I think a problem with the way a lot of the British left views it is that they, on some level, more or less iterated, think that... Um, that the solution is going to be um, the Israelis being made to relinquish the occupied territories or even the Israeli state itself by some external force, um, whether that be through, through isolation or through military conquest. Now, I think as socialists and as Democrats, that doesn't sound like, like promising territory for a solution that sounds attractive to any of us. So, 
when thinking about how to make solidarity with the Israeli left in the Israeli working class, I think one of the first things we can do is acknowledge it exists. One thing you'll hear um, often in this discussion uh, is comparisons with Israel to um, apartheid South Africa. And on the face of it, that's not a completely absurd comparison, because especially in the occupied territories, you know, there, is a, there is a regime of, um, of Palestinians being treated like second-class um, citizens and um, facing intense racism and military brutality. But I think the problem with the comparison with apartheid South Africa is that the Israeli Jewish nation is not an equivalent to um, the, the white South Africans under apartheid. What you had in um, South Africa was a relatively thin, exploitative caste of um, white South Africans, um, keeping down by force an enormous mass of uh, uh, black African workers. That, that isn't true of how Israeli society functions. Um, Israel is a nation, and like all nations, it's separated into different class interests. Um, and that means that there's an Israeli working class with its own interests that are different from the likes of Netanyahu and the Israeli bourgeoisie. And as with any other country that we seek to um, intervene in as the left, we need to be picking enemies, we need to be picking allies. We need to be not just um, uh, subsuming the Israeli working class into the same kind of political force as Netanyahu, but making solidarity with that working class in a common struggle against their exploiters. Um, So I said, so I think, and I think taking that line also. on a democratic basis means coming out loudly for a two-state solution as the only democratic, as the only democratic solution, it seems to me, um, to the conflict. Because if we acknowledge that um, the Israeli Jews are not just some thin exploitative caste, but are in fact a nation, then it, it follows that they have democratic rights to self-determination. Um, we want a solution that is not going to involve the military conquest of the Israeli Jews, but we want to be aiming for what Eric was talking about. We want a solution in which um, Israeli Jews and Palestinian Arabs can live at peace with each other. And I think you're unlikely to get that if the solution to the conflict has been through, through forcibly um, dismantling uh, the Israeli nation-state. Now, I want to talk about, a little bit about uh, uh, the, the kind of primary mode of, of so-called solidarity action with regard to Israel-Palestine on the British left, which is uh, boycotts. Um, in, place of, uh, in, in, place of, in place of practical solidarity of the kind that we've talked about already, um, the, the default mode has been uh, boycotting uh, academics, um, bands, uh, products, uh, not eating Jaffa oranges, all, all this kind of thing. Which I think, and I think that there's two problems with that. Firstly, I think the idea that consumer boycott is likely to force the Israeli state into, into, into doing what we want it to is false. I think um, another, another problem with the South Africa analogy is people assume that it was um, enough people not eating, Israeli, uh, not eating South African grapes that forced the downfall of apartheid. That is not what, what brought down um, apartheid South Africa. It was, it was an enormous, very well-organised, South African um, trade union movement that um, brought the regime to its knees through, um, through militant action. And if we want something similar to happen in Israel, then that means, that means making links with the Israeli and Palestinian labour movement, not by putting up a firewall between the region and the outside world. Um, I mean, I think also 
the um, BDS has uh, it has an air of performativity that is not reflected in any actual practical in any actual practical gains. So enormous amounts of time are spent on things like um, saying on Twitter that you're not going to watch Eurovision, <laughs> as if that's going to bring Netanyahu to his knees. It might make you feel good, but it, it strikes me that the, the, the effects are limited. It's essentially masturbation. And I by no means want to come out against masturbation, but I don't think it should be a replacement for a political programme, is all I'm saying. I limit myself to that. Finally, we need to deal with left anti-Semitism. Because if we're going to make Labour movement ties with um, Jews in Israel and in the UK, we need to get our house in order. That means we need to do away with um, uh, a kind of a theory of what's going on with Israel and its place in the world that is, is a more or less dressed up version of um, old classical anti-Semitism, which views um, Israeli uh, diplomatic influence in other countries as not being like the diplomatic influence of, say, Saudi Arabia or Russia, but as something uniquely conspiratorial. Um, that, that views um, any complaints about anti-Semitism, for example, in the Labour Party, as not being legitimate concerns of Jewish members of the Labour Party about what people have said in their CLP or how they've behaved, but as all some kind of like carefully networked put-up job by the Israeli embassy. We have to... When we're, when we're arguing with... with um, with uh, Israeli Jews or, or Jews who are sympathetic to the Israeli government in the UK, we should approach it in the exact same way that, as socialists, we talk to workers who are affiliated to any other kind of nationalism, which is you don't... You, you, you win people round by understanding where their attachment to a national project comes from, not by anathematising them. And I think often the way that the British left has that conversation... Is, is wildly counterproductive and sometimes just straightforwardly racist. So, for example, gratuitous comparisons of the behaviour of the Israeli state with the Nazis, um, a regime which, statistically speaking, is likely to have murdered some of the family of the people you're speaking to, it just, just, just strikes me as, as A, grotesque, and B, obviously going to have the, the opposite effect from, from what's planned. I see I've run out of time, and I don't want to go into <laughs> people's um, discussion time too much. So I'll just wrap up, really, by summing up. Um, what we want to be doing is, is, is junking the kind of performative um, boycott culture, which A, is of no practical value, and B, cuts off the opportunities for making links with the Israeli left. And B, we want to, we want to, we want to be loud and, um, and, and public with making solidarity with that left. So that the kind of stories that have been talked about um, by Maya or Eric um, are you know, common knowledge on the left and not something that you have to come to a very rare meeting at our, our, our event to hear about. Thanks. Um, I'm going to give about half an hour for discussion. Like many of the points that have been raised so far, uh, do you want to go first? And we'll do it in the same order as we did. I probably can't cover everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'll be really, really quick. So I'll talk about BDS and two states, one state. What are we doing? Okay. BDS, uh, is it not politically correct to boycott Israel? I don't really care about like people in Israel maybe getting hurt about people boycotting them, or I don't really mind. I mean, it, it's not an emotional thing. I think it's a, it's a pragmatic thing. I think when you boycott, who do you want to impact? You know, Who do you want to influence? What do you want to change? I can't think of anything that helps Netanyahu more than BDS, because he can go, even though this movement 14, 15 years 
a lot of people there, I'm sure, have really good intentions and have dedicated and tried a lot of like. But but it doesn't like Israelis are not impacted by it. Okay, that's the like their life every day. They're not impacted by it. It didn't shift in Israel, you know, uh, the, the population more to the left or more towards peace. If anything, uh, the right wing settlers are getting stronger, as Daniel mentioned about you know having more outposts, having more settlements. Um, Eric mentioned uh, the newspapers, their control over the media, uh, they are taking, kind of, they had their tasks, like they wanted to go into the media, into the civil service, um, to have lawyers, etc. They've achieved all that. BDS didn't stop them. If anything, it helps them because they say, you see, the, the argument from Netanyahu is, oh, you naive leftist Israeli, you think the BDSers only care about the occupation. But you can see that it's not about the occupation because the minute we end the occupation, they want to end the state of Israel, as, as you know it, they're just anti-Semites, all of them. Mm. And then if Israelis who don't really know what to make of left around the world are looking abroad and they A, see real anti-Semitism on the left, it, it kind of reinforces what Bibi says, so they think, okay, Bibi's right about this, so it makes him stronger. So I just think it, it, it's not working, basically, that's my, that's my argument. Um, two states, one state, uh, one state is what we have now. Um, and if we want to go more in that direction, I won't be in favor of it, uh, the way it looks now. Uh, no mention about Lexit. Um, <laughs> it's not the left, it's not the Israeli left that is leading the one-state solution. It is the settlers, the ones that talk about coexistence between them and the people that live under occupation because of them. And they talk about coexistence in this beautiful language. It's all rubbish, sorry. Um, I hope one day, not just Israel, I mean around the world, personally, like have no borders, great. I want to reach there, but I think two states is an essential step. Even in Europe after the Second World War, you needed hard borders between Germany and France before you had the EU and free movement. I don't think you could have just skipped, not, not that I'm comparing yeah, Israel-Palestine to the Second World War, but I think you get what I'm saying. I think it's an essential step, and I also think Personally, as an Israeli, I can't say I'm happy to deny, I, I got my right for self-determination in a state, but the Palestinians don't deserve to have that stage. Um, so I, I, and again, I think if anyone would actually lead the one-state solution, it won't be the Palestinians, and it won't be the small minority of Israeli leftists that think of this kind of uh, egalitarian democratic utopia. It would be the settlers. And it won't be just the Palestinians who would be second, third, fourth class citizens. It would be secular Jews and LGBTQ and anyone who's not kind of fit their vision of a kingdom of Judea with biblical laws. Um, so I can't, I can't support that vision. So that's why I think we should. I think the, uh, our problem is political, not policy. The policy of two state is correct. We need political leaders that can actually deliver it. Eric, you want to say a few words? Yeah, I do. Um, I'll just only the, the issues Dan raised because they are central to why I've been invited here. Um, look, first of all, I was a member of Meretz and its predecessor, Mapam, my whole adult life. That's why I was on Mapam Central Committee. And I attended a Meretz event on my old kibbutz back in April, so like the day before the election. And Meretz sent one of his young, dynamic leaders to speak. And there's a small group, smaller than other people here, and a kibbutz of 1,000 people. There were maybe 20 people in the room, maybe 15. And back in the early 1980s, when I first arrived, I, used, I was part of the young group, you know, I was one of the young bloods. And I came and I was still the youngest person in the room. <laughs> I, by far. And this was, I mean, I, I felt great. But, but, 
Ed Sullivan to me in a moment what the problem was with the Israeli left because um, the Israeli left has been saying the same thing forever and even if we're right it doesn't work this slogan doesn't work and what I loved about the Am we at least because the Am Workers Party was they wanted to shake things up they weren't going to repeat what everyone's been saying for the last uh, 50 years and by the way the occupation is 52 years old and not 70 years old the state of Israel is 70 years old there's a difference um, Da'am, I'm going to be honest and you know, upfront about what happened here. Da'am was a party that supported a two-state solution until very recently. And when I spoke to them and indicated I'd be willing to help them because I want to shake up the Israeli left, their slogan at the time, their campaign slogan was solidarity without borders. Sounded good. And only, and they made it like point number nine in their agenda, yeah, and a one-state solution. And I asked them about this, and they... They said, yeah, we know you disagree with us, but it's fine, it's not a big deal. Then it became their main slogan. <laughs> so it was kind of sprung on me. Now, once they did, it made me rethink a little bit. Why am I so committed to a two-state solution? I mean, I love a two-state solution. I wish we could have a two-state solution. It's the ideal solution for the socialists. But it is convincing no one in Israel. Because it's based on the notion of separation. It's the notion that the Arabs, people you don't want to live next to, because they're frightening and they're going to kill us. And most Israelis, most Jewish Israelis, believe that if you're in a room full of Arabs, your life is in danger. Not an entirely irrational belief in some parts of the country, fair enough. I wouldn't want to go into Hebron, you know, unarmed and wearing a big, you know, I'm an Israeli t-shirt, I get that. But this, the racism is important, and this, the Am was challenging this. They were saying, new thinking is needed on a whole range of issues, not only the one-state solution. I don't think they really were advocating the kind of, what you were suggesting, a continuation of the settler rule, or kind of Hamas one-state solution. They were throwing the idea out as a bombshell, to make Israelis think a little bit about what we mean. And I think it did return us to the notion of a binational state, and it did return us to, to the ideas of peaceful coexistence. And by the way, if a state were possible, I mean, all the Arabs were given the right to vote, and they'd be the majority, that's never going to happen. If that were to happen, I wouldn't necessarily oppose that as a socialist, if that solution was proposed. No one's proposing it at the moment. So I think the important thing here was to, to shake things up, to wake up the Israeli left a little bit, to show them how badly they're doing, how desperately they need new ideas and new slogans to replace the tired old ones. Da'am failed in this mission. Medicine Labor went forward with exactly the same slogans they've always had, and they're down to 8% of the voters. As a result, and they're going to get smaller in the next round. So you can say we love two-state solutions, we should never ever abandon that, but actually, where are we going? In the Israeli left, we're not going anywhere with that idea at the moment. So I'm open to new discussions and return to some of the old ideas. My own party, Mapam, back in 1948, did not support a two-state solution. It supported a binational state. It's a legit, and they were a Zionist party. It's a legitimate Zionist slogan to support a binational state with full rights to the Palestinians. And in the difference in 70 years and 50 years, Israel, until 1967, was essentially a binational state in which Palestinians had and have the right to vote, etc. So that, you know, Israel wasn't, in a sense, a, a, a one state solution. Israel, up to the 1967 borders, was a one state solution, and it did sort of work. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, it's funny when um, Maya mentioned Lexit because um, it struck me that it's a bit rich coming from the British left to write off the uh, Israeli left for caving to nationalism when um, <laughs> our, our own left is, 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 is buckled like a straw under, <laughs> uh, under a nationalist drive around Brexit. And a bit rich for us to condemn the Israeli working class having nationalist instincts when our own working class is cur currently, well, portions of it have been convinced that there's um, 
a nationalist grievance against people trying to control the bendiness of their bananas. Um, so you know, I think I think maybe we should we should have a little bit of um, we should have a little bit of uh, humbleness when uh, when um, when condemning the Israeli working class and the Israeli earth. Um, on the question about so um, the comrade over there, I, I think I basically agree with you in, in, in many ways, but I've got a slightly different way of looking at it. So I agree with um, with what Maya said about this question of. Um, um, is is the problem um, uh, offending Israelis? Um, I, I, I don't think it's about a question of offence. I think it's a question of like we want we want the Israeli left to win. We want we want to make as, to that end we want to make as as, as um, effective links as possible, um, uh, rather than a question of offence. But also on apartheid. So I um, I, I tried in my uh, speech to kind of uh, begin my section on that by saying. By saying there's there's ways in which you, you it, it does look like apartheid. Obviously, the, the the racism and oppression of the Palestinians in the occupied territories and and elsewhere um, is appalling. So when I when I raise a problem with the apartheid definition, what I'm not trying to do is um, diminish um, the suffering of the Palestinians. What I'm saying is I think the structure of what is going on <coughs> is different. I think there's a different um, process at play than what was going on in apartheid South Africa. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not a situation of um, a, a vast majority of the country that is one ethnicity who are held down by a very narrow uh, layer of exploiters. You've got two nations, you've got two national groups, um, each of them with very large working classes. And therefore, whereas um, you, you could talk about in the case of South Africa, um, uh, no, go on. Go on. Oh, sorry, I, sorry. Oh, sure. Um, so, 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 so I think uh, I think our approach to the solution has to be different than it was in the case of, of of South Africa. And actually, I agree with you when you were saying in some ways, in some ways, it's it's worse. Like it, it wasn't. There, I, I think you're right when you say that um, for a section of the Israeli ruling class, basically the end game is to drive out as many Palestinians as possible. That wasn't really what was going on in South Africa. So. Um, my issue with apartheid is I think uh, the analogy can send us on a wrong tactical route rather than an attempt to like critify what's going on. Why aren't there great political parties there? The one part of the Middle East, the Arabs could do this. Um, first of all, if Israeli Arabs all voted and they all voted for their, for their parties, they'd have 24 seats out of 120 in the Knesset and they would determine who's going to be the next Prime Minister of Israel. That, everyone in Israel understands that and yet it's have no effect on anybody. Part of the problem is, imagine that did happen, you had 24 Arab seats, whatever, in the Knesset. There's still, all the, all the other Israeli parties say we won't form a government with them, which is part of the, of the problem which I've raised, which is the problem of Israelis fearing, hating, detesting Arabs and not trusting them. This is a really serious problem. And I know the, 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 uh, you mentioned there was a meeting where Arabs and Jews got together. It's good. It's the beginning, but the reality is for decades and decades, it's been absolutely clear these parties cannot be in government. Which raises the question of, if I were an Arab voter, why would I vote? Certainly, why would I vote for them? They're not going to be in government. I'd vote for the Labour Party or somebody else. So that's a little... And the other problem is because the, the two main blocks in the, of the Arab parties, the ones that really count, are the Stalinists and the Islamists. Yeah, so talk about a rock and a hard place. Okay? You know, what, do, what do you choose? It's one reason, uh, Da'am, the party which I had supported in the last elections and for which I was actually a candidate, under an assumed name. <laughs> um, don't ask. 
the, um, How did you do? <laughs> I did very well. <laughs> um, the, right, right. Dom broke away from, from uh, the Communist Party over these issues, over Stalin's men, particularly the question of Assad. I mean, the fact that this is really Communist Party, one of the lovely things he says, su- supports Assad and the genocide happening in Syria. It's a moral statement of the party, and it goes back to the Stalinist roots. So, um, the, the, those are the main You raised a very good point. It is a question why isn't there a social democratic party operating among Israeli Arabs? There isn't. There isn't. Uh, sorry, I'm going to be very sick. I'm going to be really quick. Um, Arab parties, you're right. Uh, let's say I'm going to be the representative of Jewish lefty parties. It's not that our record is, is that good. And many times you see um, Jewish lefty parties saying, that's why we can't sit with the Arabs, you see, because A, B, C, D. And it, if you respect the public, you respect the representatives. You don't just wish for them to have different representatives and then you sit with them. Um, that's not to, I mean, I, I completely agree with Eric, but I think in terms of as a camp, how we need to work, this could not be an excuse for why Jews and Arabs can't work together. And again, looking at the right wing that currently is winning despite the fact that the support for their policies is tiny in the Israeli public, they sit with anti-Zionist parties, the ultra-Orthodox are anti-Zionists, okay? That's why they don't serve as ministers, always as deputy ministers, because they can't be ministers in the Zionist government. Um, so, I mean, we need to create these coalitions. They're not always comfortable. Um, uh, but, um, why does the right fight the BDS if it's not uh, effective? Because it's an effective demon for Netanyahu to fight, um, and, and it's a distraction from what's the real threat on Israel's existence, which is according to all former uh, IDF chief of staff, heads of uh, Shin Bet and Mossad, which is like MI5 and MI6, they're all unanimous, a group of Jews that are unanimous about something, <laughs> that the number one threat is not Iran, and it's not Hezbollah, and it's not Hamas, it's the settlement and the occupation. Yeah. And these are not Palestinian human rights activists, these are people that devoted their life to, to fighting in certain ways, okay? And as long as people are talking about BDS and not about the occupation, Netanyahu is happy, because his coalition is dependent on settlers. Um, so that, that's why I think, despite the right-wing attack, BDS is not that effective. Um, and about settlements and how, how much they've grown, and it's all true and very sad, vast majority, the settler, I'm going to f- argue, failed project. Vast majority of settlers are traveling every day beyond the green line into proper Israel to work. Despite all the subsidy uh, that it's been given by the state that paves road and like the spent per head in the settlement on education and other uh, uh, resources is huge compared to proper Israel. Despite all that, the settlements are failing. So if the state would, would stop funding this, I can't see how the vast majority of people who live there who are not ideological, they live there because it's a better life, how they would stay. And also, also Gaza was much smaller, but I remember before 2005 and the withdrawal from Gaza, all this talk about blood and civil war and it would never happen. And it happened in a week, no one died. Um, so I, like, I think my people have done incredible, amazing things before, so I don't think this would be unachievable. And to give up because we don't win elections, I mean, I hope the Labour Party, if it doesn't win the next election, won't come up to the conclusion that because it lost since 2010, maybe it means that the British public wants a private NHS and you need to change your policy. I, I don't think that's the reason to change your policy. Thanks very much. And Tom, to wrap up, thank you. Okay, I was going to come back on what I thought was quite an interesting question about uh, BDS, but I think Maya did such a good job of it, and I have so little time that I'm just going <laughs> to not, not come back, so apologies for that. Um, so uh, on, the, on the question of one state, and kind of alluding slightly to what Eric was saying, 
Um, obviously, I think as socialists, we would prefer it if rather than there be a new national border, there would just be a state in the region in which there was no borders between people and there could be, there'd be maximum interaction and, um, and, so, so, and, and, and class, class solidarity and, and minimum antagonism. I think the problem is, is that it, it, the self-determination of the two peoples who, so far as we can tell these things, still aspire for their own national states. Um, so if I just talk a little bit to wrap up about uh, what Trotskyists, um, people who are, our, our group would take their lineage from, were saying at the time of the Declaration of the State of Israel, um, people like Hal Draper and their tradition, they initially were, were saying we, we would like a binational state for Jews and Arabs. We think uh, that the Declaration of an Independent Israel could have serious reactionary knock-on effects. And when you look at the, 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 the driving out of people from, from towns and the bloodshed that happened with that declaration. You can see why they thought that. They're re real problems. But the Israeli Jews did make a decision that they wanted self-determination. And Hal Draper, who had who'd warned about all the risks of this, wrote in 1948, a new state has been set up. A people have declared that they want to live under their own government and determine their own national destiny. They've taken a blank check made out to the right of self-determination and have signed their name to it, Israel, and they've sought to cash it in. So as, as much as we might, we might want to kind of skip a historical stage and get to a, you know, a sort of socialist federation of the, of the Middle East, I think we, we have to acknowledge the democratic will of both the Palestinians and the Israelis for their own states. Um, and I, and I, I think that, I think, I think trying to, to to grant as, mu as much democratic concession to that aspirations as possible and to try to draw the poison out of the national antagonism as much as possible will be one step, one sign majorly significant step on the way to arriving at a situation where um, Israeli Jewish and Palestinian Arab workers um, can, can, can treat each other, can, can view each other as, as comrades in a working class struggle for socialism and not as, as, as bitter enemies trying to get their, their foot on each other's throat. We run Ideas for Freedom every year. For more talks and discussions, come and join our now legendary annual socialist summer getaway above Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire on the 8th to the 11th of August. This will be a long weekend of music, campfires, food, drink and socialist discussions, workshops, tree climbing and messing about in the great outdoors. Open to all. More information and tickets from £20, including food, at workersliberty.org forward slash camp.